Thanks, Dave. Uh, good morning, Parkhurst. I'm uh, glad you can be uh, with us this morning. If you're um, not part of uh, Parkhurst Community Church, but you're joining us online uh, this morning or whenever you're watching this, uh, welcome to you. Uh, we're thrilled that you're joining us this morning as we continue in our series on uh, the Gospel of Mark. So if you have a Bible or a phone, I want you to open it up to uh, Mark chapter 6, uh, verse 30. If you're making notes, Mark chapter 6, verse 30, the, the verses will be on the screen next to me, but it'd be great if you can also follow along uh, in a Bible that you've got there uh, as well. Let me, let me dive straight into the passage uh, that we're going to be looking at this morning, and then I'll pray for us and see uh, how God is speaking to us um, this morning. Mark chapter 6, verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. He said to them, Come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. For many people were coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they went away in the boat by themselves to a remote place. But many saw them leaving and recognized them, and they ran on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he began to teach them many things. When it grew late, his disciples approached him and said, This place is deserted and it's already late. Send them away so that they can go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. You give them something to eat, he responded. They said to him, Should we go? And buy 200 denarii worth of bread and, and give them something to eat? He asked them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he instructed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. He took the five loaves and the two fish and he looked up to heaven he blessed and broke the loaves. He kept giving them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. Everyone ate and was satisfied. They picked up 12 baskets full of pieces of bread and fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were 5,000 men. Would you pray with me? Father, we, we are so grateful for the gift of your word, and that you continue uh, to speak to us through it. And as we come to this um, very familiar uh, passage, this familiar account in Scripture, we pray that as we, as we look at it, as we listen to it again, as we dive into it, that you would, you would teach us, that you would reveal yourself to us, you would reveal your heart, you would reveal our own hearts to us, you would uh, the, the truths of the gospel would wash over our hearts and our lives and our minds this morning. Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to receive. And may the Holy Spirit teach us through the ministry of your word this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the only uh, miracle that's recorded in all four of the gospels. Uh, the resurrection is recorded in all four of the Gospels, and the, the feeding of 5,000 is recorded in all four Gospels. So it's a really important uh, miracle. All the Gospel writers think it's worth including, and for really good reasons. And we could spend 
uh, probably weeks uh, on this account, which uh, we're not going to do. But what I want to do is look at, at three things um, this morning, three things that we can see uh, in this passage, in this account that are, will be, I believe, helpful and encouraging and good for our souls uh, this morning. What is the first thing that we see here? The first thing that we see here is a life of compassion. The first thing we see is a life of compassion. Uh, where we are in the story here, Jesus has sent out his disciples and they've gone and done uh, a whole bunch of stuff. They've come back to him and they've reported uh, what's been going on and they're obviously tired uh, from being off on their ministry trip and Jesus is tired because he's never-ending demands and people always wanting to be with him. And so he, he organizes sort of like a mini retreat for his disciples. He's like, hey, come, let, let's get away. Let, let's go on a little bit of a break. Let's get to a secluded place. You guys need a rest. You've been doing a whole bunch of stuff. You've been giving out. It's okay. Let's, let's, just, let's just gather ourselves and let's go away to a quiet, secluded place and catch our breath. And uh, as they're trying to do that, everyone recognizes them. Uh, and, and they start running. It says that people start running ahead of them from all the towns and villages of the area. They start running ahead and they're running faster than they can go in the boat to where Jesus and his disciples are going. And it's sort of like, you can imagine, um, all I have in my head when I read this is Justin Bieber arriving somewhere and just teenage girls just screaming and running ahead of wherever he's going to be. Justin, Justin. I mean, uh, I don't think I'd ever be part of that crowd um, beyond that. But I know someone who lives in my house who may act like that if she saw him. Or, or, or you know, people who see their sports fan, a sports bus of, the, of their team arriving, and you see just fans just running and mobbing a bus and trying to figure out where the bus is going to go and try and beat it there so they can catch a glimpse of their heroes. Uh, that, that's the, the picture I have in my head. These people are desperate to get near Jesus. And so they're coming from all over the place, and they're rushing, and they get there ahead of Jesus and his disciples. And it's amazing what happens. He arrives there, and Mark tells us um, he arrives on the shore, and he sees this crowd of people. And what is the first thing that happens? It, Mark describes it like this. He sees this crowd and he has compassion on them. Because he sees them as sheep without a shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd. What, what, is, what does that mean? Well, there's a lot going on there. Firstly, let's just explore this word of compassion. This, this is a word that is, that is locked on to Jesus all the way through the Gospels. Compassion, compassion, compassion. Again and again, you hear of Jesus looking at people and being moved with compassion, having compassion on them. And the word has got this, this, this imagery of, your, of the bowels kind of moving like that, this, this churning deep inside, not this, not this casual feeling. Like Jesus is, is, is we're deeply, deeply moved, brokenhearted by the condition of these people that he finds uh, on the shore. And, and it's their situation that moves him. They're sheep without a shepherd. I mean, I'm, not much of a, I'm not much of a shepherd. I don't know much about sheep, except lamb chops. That's the only thing I know about sheep. Uh, but uh, sheep without a shepherd uh, are, are open to attack. Uh, um, sheep are apparently not the brightest animals, and they're, so they're leaderless. They need, they need somebody to lead them and guide them and move them places. Otherwise, they're just, they're just left to themselves. They're not at their, at their best. They need... And they need somebody to tend them and care for them and help them and lead them to food and, and shear them. I don't know if you remember the story of, of, of Shrek the sheep. Uh, Shrek the sheep 
uh, was a sheep. I think he's in New Zealand, and he, and he disappeared on a sheep farm. I've got a picture of him here. Uh, he disappeared on a sheep farm. Uh, he missed shearing the one day. It was a massive sheep farm, about like 15,000 sheep, and he, and, he, and he scarved off. He went on his own <laughs> like mission, I don't know, and he, he never came back. Like, he hid in caves and stuff. For like six years later, they found him, and this is what he looked like. Now, if you're not familiar with sheep, this is not what sheep are supposed to look like. There's actually, you can search for a, a picture of what Shrek looked like after they sheared him, and he looks like a normal, a normal sheep. And you know, If you don't have a shepherd, you end up in bad condition. And this is what Jesus sees when he looks at the people. He sees sheep without a shepherd, and it's, he is moved with compassion. As I read this, this, this stood out so much to me. Jesus arriving uh, on the shore with his disciples, with an idea in his mind and in their minds, attentive to their needs of what they needed. They needed a break. They needed, they needed some time alone, some quiet time, some downtime. Maybe Jesus did as well. And yet this is what greets him, this, this massive crowd of people with serious, serious needs. And guys, it's, it's easy for us to feel compassion at times. Um, I, I feel very compassionate in fits and starts. And yet here you see Jesus always just compassionate, always moved by the needs of people. Uh, it's easy for us to be compassionate uh, in those little pockets and those seasons. But one thing that really presses us and one thing we need to ask ourselves is, how do we feel, how do we respond when our plans are interrupted? When, 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 when a, a need pops up that we weren't planning to meet. Somebody comes to our house and we, don't, we weren't really budgeting to have time. To, we get a, a knock on the windscreen when you're at a, at a robot and you don't really want to engage. I don't really have anything for you. I don't want to talk to you now. Somebody comes to you on the street. You know, needs come our way. The, the burdens and the difficulties and the struggles of people interrupt our lives. That's when we know how compassionate we are. And here you see Jesus his plan is interrupted, and he responds with what? He responds with compassion because he lives a life of compassion. He is compassion himself. He's moved by the needs and the, the struggles of, of his people. What, what could Jesus have done? How, how could he have responded? He, he could have just put his hand up to the crowd and said, Listen, guys, you know, I've been going all over the place, um, healing, doing all this stuff, teaching you guys. I just need some time alone with these guys. Man, we've, had, we've been running hard. You know, he could have put up boundaries. He could, have, he could have quoted some rabbi or whatever about the importance of boundaries in your life and just told them, like, look, I'm putting up some boundaries with you people. You're all up in my face. You're all, like, overcrowding us. I'm just putting up some healthy boundaries, doing some self-care, me and the disciples. And, I, and I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to be too facetious. There's nothing wrong with self-care. We're going to talk a bit about later about, about the importance of it and how we can know uh, where, what, what we should do, when we should be compassionate, when we should care for ourselves and how those things work together, but he, he could have just sent them all away. He could have said to the people, just leave us alone. But he still goes ahead, and, and here's where his compassion is, layers and layers and layers of depth. Jesus knew that these people were after him for selfish reasons. They were bringing the, the sick to him again. They wanted to see a miracle. They wanted to just follow the spectacle that Jesus was. Jesus is so compassion, compassionate that he gets off the boat, gets onto land, He's broken by their situation. And when we read this account in, in Matthew 14 and in Luke 9, it says he started to teach them and to heal their sick. So he, he, he does what they're asking him to do. 
even though he didn't need to, and even though they were seeking him out for the wrong reasons. They were seeking him out for the wrong reasons, and Jesus is still so compassionate to meet them and to help them and to love them and to serve them in this way. just want to add as a side note here um, that his compassion for people and his compassion for these sheep without a shepherd involves two things. Three things we'll touch on, but two things up front here. It involves teaching and healing. I love the way Mark writes it. He says, um, and he had compassion on them, so then he taught them many things. He had compassion on them as they were sheep without a shepherd, and so he taught them many things. You know, I don't know how you feel about the, the teaching of Scripture and the importance of the Word, but we don't always put those two things together. Sheep without a shepherd, people who don't know where they're going and who have massive needs, need the teaching and the truths and, and the foundation of Scripture and the message of the gospel. And Jesus pointing all of these things to himself. We know again and again that he taught about the kingdom of God is like this, the kingdom of God. And no doubt this is when it says he taught them many things. He's just unpacking what life was like in the kingdom and, and how he was central to all of that. Uh, people in need, sheep without a shepherd, need teaching and they need healing. I just wanted to put that in there because it's, it's in the text. We see this in the life of Jesus, the importance that he puts on teaching people, not just dishing out lunch and healing the sick. We need to remind ourselves, and it's a great reminder in this, that uh, people have limited compassion for us. And, and maybe you have felt that in this season. Here we are in another wave, wave, third wave of COVID. Everyone is just tired. I'm tired. Uh, everyone's tired. We all have fatigue. We're emotionally drained. We're spiritually but wrung out. And we have limited ability to be compassionate uh, to others. And maybe you've run into the limits of compassion of other people for you. And where you've lent on some other people, they're not really able to provide and prop you up as much as they have been in the past. Maybe they're just dealing with their own stuff. And what I love about this account is that we see Jesus, the compassionate one, again and again and again. And his compassion never runs out, even when people seek him out for misguided things. And I want to encourage us to keep coming to him, to come to him first when we need compassion, when we need help, when we feel like sheep without a shepherd, that we come to him first and we lean on him and we look to him. We say, you're the God of all compassion. Would you comfort me? Would you help me? Would you guide me? Would you lead me? Would you provide? Would you do all of these things and lean on him rather than leaning on people? First him and then uh, the gift of how God cares for us through other people. The first thing we see here is a life of compassion. The second thing that we see is the provision of their deepest need. The provision of their deepest need. It's getting late in the day. Jesus is not confined uh, to TED Talks uh, and YouTube sermons. He is teaching the whole afternoon. I want to go back in time. And uh, he is now, now getting late in the day. And the disciples are realizing, like, no, man, this is, we've got a situation on our hands now. Jesus has now completely overdone it, teaching everyone no one's had any food. They've all been sitting here uh, or standing around, whatever, for ages. And the disciples reckon, I mean, we don't know whether they just wanted to get on with their retreat plan that they had with Jesus or whether they genuinely had care for the people. We're not exactly sure. Uh, but they come to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, let these guys go. We're out here sort of in the middle of nowhere. Uh, these guys need to move now if they're going to get any food. And other gospels tell us that and, and places to stay. 
let these people go, otherwise we're going to be stuck with all these hungry people here and no one's going to be able to move. Like, what are we going to do? And Jesus tests them. He looks, the, looks at them straight and he says, why don't you give them something? Which you, you can't help but laugh at. Uh, the disciples must, I, can you imagine being one of the disciples just wondering if you heard him correctly? It's like, you know, remember, this is the feeding of the 5,000 men we, we hear at the end of the story. They estimate, uh, biblical scholars estimate that there were between 10 and 15, possibly more, 15,000 people there between women and children and others that had come. This is a massive, massive crowd of people. And Jesus looks at them and says, you give them something. And they're like looking left and right and thinking, did, it, did we hear incorrectly? Did he say we should give them something to eat? I'm not, I'm not sure. But, I mean, being the disciples who, who want to impress or just they're still figuring Jesus out or maybe they're feeling the pressure of being on Team Jesus, they start doing maths and, and they ask Jesus, like, look, well, we've got 200 denarii, which is uh, it's a day's wage. It was about a denarii. So it's like 200 uh, workers' day's wages here. Should we go and buy them? Something to eat. And like they're, obviously, they're not too bad with maths because they realize that's not going to go very far. 200 days wages, we, we, have, we have too little. That's what they say to Jesus. Look, we don't really have enough to feed them. We don't have uh, enough money to feed these people, and we're running out of options here. And Jesus asked me, so, well, what do you have? What do you have? Go and have a look and come back and tell me. And I, I love in this account how Jesus is willing to work with what they do have, even though it isn't much. With the little recce, they come back, they've got five loaves and two fish. And there's like 10, 15,000 people there. I mean, you can't help but laugh that this is, this is a laughable and desperate situation. If you're wanting to feed all that many people, even offering, like, you know, we've got five loaves and two fish. Like, yeah, Jesus, this is what we've got. You know, maybe they were expecting that he was going to do something. They had seen him do some stuff. But I love how Jesus is willing to work with the little that they had. Remember, Jesus is able to do whatever he wants. He can command stones and they can turn into bread. He can do whatever he wants. He could have just he could he could have done like an Oprah style thing, just raised his voice and said, Look, everybody, look in your bag. There's fish, there's bread. You get fish and you get a fish and you get a loaf and you get a loaf. Like he could have done it like that, but he doesn't. He doesn't do this all this weird extravagant thing. He takes what they bring to him and he multiplies it exponentially. And I don't want to, it's not a hill I want to down, but I think there is something in that where God uses the very little of our lives and what we bring to Him, and through His Spirit causes an exponential fruitfulness for His kingdom and for His purposes with it. And I think that's deeply encouraging. Yeah. Jesus is concerned about the physical hunger of people, but He's concerned about so much more. And He, and he, and he blesses the the, the bread and he blesses the fish and he just keeps handing out and I love the way he gives it to the disciples and he just keeps distributing. He brings them in on the plan and you can imagine how much a, or what a jam it must have been. Like, guys, there's just more coming. There's more coming. Like, there's more coming. I don't know when it's going to end but there's more coming and they get to be a part of it. Like I said, Jesus didn't just Bluetooth everyone their food. He involves the disciples in what he's doing and there's very much uh, a picture in that of how God works in the world, of how Jesus works. He works in and through us. We get to be partners with him, co-laborers with him in what he's doing in the world, in his mission, in his kingdom mission in the world. It's, it, it's amazing. 
But like I said, he's concerned about the, the physical needs of people. He, he, I, I love the way he's not either, either or Jesus. He's been teaching them many things. It's late in the day. And he, he could have just said, guys, look, you know, I'm done. I've taught you everything. I'm, I'm a teacher. Uh, go and find some food. It's been great. We'll see you guys around again. You know? don't, 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 don't weary me now. I've been, I've been teaching for ages. I need to go and rest. I want to plan this trip with the disciples kind of thing. Uh, good luck. Uh, God bless. See you next week. Uh, but don't bond me with your physical needs. He has compassion in different layers. One for their spiritual lostness and their bewilderment, this sheep without a shepherd, and also the fact that they're just needy and hungry and there's sick people still there. And he's able to meet all of these needs. Just, he's just flowing into all of these things. I want you to read with me in John chapter 6. In John's uh, and John has this account that we're going to read now after he, Jesus fed the 5,000, walked on water, and then he has this interaction with religious leaders explaining in some ways what has happened in his feeding of the 5,000. And I want us to read it and look at what Jesus says about himself and how he explains what was going on in the feeding of the 5,000. We're going to read from John chapter 6 uh, from verse 30. What sign then, this is the religious leaders, what sign then, are you going to do so that we may see and believe you? They asked. What are you going to perform? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Listen all the way through this passage. It's amazing. Just these lines that stick out like he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Verse 32, Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. It wasn't Moses. But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, Sir, give us this bread always. Verse 35, 35 I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. And no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen me, and yet you do not believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Therefore the Jews started grumbling about Him because He said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They were saying, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose, whose father and mother we know? We looked at this a couple of weeks ago. How can He now say, I've come down from heaven. Like, they're like, we know you, Jesus. We know you didn't. Like, what is this you came down from heaven thing? Verse 43, Jesus answered them, Stop grumbling amongst yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has listened to and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. 
Truly, I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that anyone may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. It's amazing that block of teaching from Jesus. There's so much in there. But he puts himself right at the center of this and picks up in one of the themes in John's gospel of him being the bread of life. And he, and, and he says in this, in this whole interaction in John 6, he says, I'm the bread of life. If you, if you eat this bread, you will never hunger again. Your, your ancestors, our fathers, ate manna in the wilderness. God providing manna when people were wandering in the wilderness. And they died. But those who eat the bread I give, who feast on this bread that's come down from heaven, Jesus speaking about himself, says they will, they will never die. And they will never be hungry again. And quite simply, uh, eating this bread is like coming to faith in Jesus. That, that's what Jesus is talking about. He says, he says, no one comes to the Father unless the Father draws him. And, and, and the Father draws them by them seeing the Son and putting faith in the Son. They believe in the revealed Son. And as they, do, as they do that, they get to eat of this bread that's come down from heaven, which both satisfies their hunger, causes them never to die, and to have eternal life. That's the whole picture of what Jesus is talking about. The crowd, I'm not sure if, they've, if, they've, if, they're, if they're understanding this as Jesus is, uh, working this massive miracle, surely they would have thought, yeah, this provision is amazing. Uh, he's got them sitting in, in groups of 50 and 100 all over the place. There's lots of echoes of what God had done um, in the Old Testament in Moses, through Moses in the wilderness, manna, provision of bread from heaven. But I don't know if they connect all the dots that this is the bread of life. This is the one who's come down from heaven to satisfy the eternal hunger and to draw them to him himself. And I want to ask you this morning, uh, have, you, have you come to him? Have you, have you responded to Jesus or are you still hungry? Are you still hungry? Because until, until you eat the bread of life and until you experience what that's like and, and you taste the bread that takes away the, the deep hunger, the deep longing and the deep hunger that we're born with, You'll always be hungry. You'll always be looking for an alternative. And I want to encourage you this morning to come to Jesus, the one who takes away our spiritual hunger and allows us to be satisfied in him and gives us eternal life through faith and belief in him. It must be so terrible to miss this truth that the, the physical provision of Jesus is meant to point to the spiritual provision of Jesus that he provides um, bread and fish to this throng of people and for them to miss that all of that points to the fact that he's, he's the bread of life. In a spiritual sense, he satisfies the deepest longings of their hearts. How terrible for us to go through life looking at all the ways that God in his grace provides and cares and nourishes and supplies 
every one of our needs and miss that all of those um, aspects of common grace and care from God are meant to point to our deepest need being satisfied in Him. And we were so easily willing to settle for these things. And we so easily long for these things. And we sometimes hold God to those things. Hey, if you, God, if you just met my needs in these areas, then I would believe in you. And we have to agree with the rest of Scripture that, 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 that that's not true. That isn't true. History has shown our own hearts prove that even if God met all of our physical needs, that would probably render us further away from God, more independent, less dependent on, our, on God for our deepest need. Jesus meets us at the level of our deepest need in a way that no one and nothing else can. The last thing I want us to see here this morning is the abundance in God. The abundance in God, it's, uh, I said it's about 10, 15,000 people, we don't know, uh, but they all get fed. Uh, and the word that's used there, it says they all ate and were satisfied. They were all ate and they were satisfied. That, that word uh, is almost a, it's a word for animals, like they, if they have eaten and they are full. They're just like, they're going to go lie down on the grass somewhere and just like, they're, just, they're like, Afrikaans, prop full. They are just like, magis full. They're ready for uchis too. Like they are, if you don't know Afrikaans, it means like uh, stomach full, eyes closed. Uh, like I'm done. Like after a big Sunday lunch or whatever, whatever you do, your family, your friends, big child, you just get lethargic. You just, the people are full. And I love it. There, there is such an abundance in God. Jesus is feeding thousands and thousands of people here. And it's not like, look, I'll give them a little snack to tide them over. When he feeds them, he feeds them so that they are full. They are completely full. Um, I, I think in the wisdom of Jesus, he fed them after he taught them. Because you can imagine this happening the other way around. That him doing the feeding of the 5,000 and then trying to teach them the whole afternoon. It, we would never have heard about it. Uh, it would have gone properly sideways. But it says at the end of, of, this, um, of this miracle... They, they gather baskets, 12 baskets full of leftovers. Whenever you see the word 12 in Scripture, you need to pay attention. I'm not one of those numbers guys, but it's normally pretty important, especially when you see 12. 12 tribes of Israel, 12 is really important. There's 12 baskets that are full of leftovers. What the layers of meaning has that Jesus is sufficient to feed and satisfy all the tribes of Israel and more. There is such a sufficiency, such an abundance in Jesus' ability to satisfy and to supply that nothing can touch it. And I want to I just address briefly, as you get near the end, like this issue of God's stinginess or God's skimping on you. That's a lie that many people believe. We often feel like if I'm going to come to God or if I'm going to live wholeheartedly for God, uh, I'm going to have to do without a whole bunch of things. My life is going to be miserable I'm just going to go without him and say no to this, no to this, no to this. And God is going to hold out on me because he just wants to discipline me and make me a lean, mean, spiritual machine. And there are things that we will go without. There are. Jesus makes it clear there are things that we will go without. But God is the God of abundance. And he is a giving God. And he doesn't give like for like. But he, you cannot outgive God. And what we give to him what he gives back to us is multiplied abundance. And I, I want to read in Matthew 19, verse 29 
Listen to what Jesus says. He says, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Jesus is saying, if, if you want to put yourself first, you, you end up last. But if you're happy to put yourself last and go without and leave all of these things for my sake, how much more will you receive from him? Now and eternal life. There, there is so much in this that, uh, that God outgives us. God outgives us always. Now and forever. And friends, I want to encourage you in this, that if you if you vacillate in between wholehearted commitment and following of Jesus and doing what's right and committing and paying the cost and weighing up what it's going to cost you and what you're going to have to go without in different things, don't think that God is going to shortchange you and you're going to be a pauper. God gives more than you ever give up for him. In Matthew 5 verse 6, Jesus says this in the famous Beatitudes, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they will be filled. They will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Do you have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness? This is Jesus' promise. They will be filled. They won't just make it through life. They won't feel like they are like those forgotten cousins who just get nothing, you know, left out of the will or whatever else. They will be filled. God himself will make sure out of his limitless supply that they are filled. Because they hunger and thirst for righteousness. There is, there is a war going on in our culture between being filled with material things and being filled with the presence and the provision and the spirit and the righteousness of God. And sometimes you can't have both of those things. You have to say no to one in order to get the other because you only have certain capacity. And one will rob from our lives the other. And I want to encourage us as a church as a people to say no to those things, those lesser things that we settle for, and to be a community of people that hunger and thirst for righteousness and trust that God will fill us. One, two last, two things I want to say briefly as, as I end this. I mentioned that uh, earlier about how, how you balance compassion for others with caring for yourself. And uh, how, how do we do that? How do we have compassion for others without burning out? How do we care for ourselves? And the answer is I'm not 100% sure. I'm not. Um, but I do know this, and I do see this in Jesus. Uh, you'll see this coming up. When Jesus finishes at, uh, feeding the 5,000 at the end of the day here, he dismisses them, and he tells the disciples to get on the boat and, 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 and head off. And it says he heads for the mountain to go and pray and be with his Father. And um, I know what it's like uh, to, to run too hard and to live and to try and love people and be compassionate and minister out of, out of next to nothing. And I know what it's like to run and to love and be compassionate and minister out of abundance. And I know that the key thing there is time alone with God, prioritizing time in His presence, being refreshed by Him, not allowing other things to um, take priority, but to press in to Him to sit in his presence, to feast on his word. I know that, that that's not a perfect science, but you see it modeled in the life of Jesus. Lots of giving out, but lots of retreating to be with his father. How do you 
How do you not hit compassion fatigue? You just press more into the presence of the Father. You lean more into time with God so that you have an abundance to give of love and compassion and joy and the fruit of the Spirit to people. If we get that right, I don't know exactly what the ratio is, but one thing I also know is that the more time we spend with God, the more discernment we seem to have when obstacles and opportunities pop up. How do you know if something's an obstacle or an opportunity you should meet? How do you know? Well, I don't again, that's not a perfect science, but I think time in prayer, you see Jesus. He didn't meet every single need. He was quite specific in some areas. But he spent so much time with the Father, and he says, I only do what the Father tells me to do. He had a spiritual discernment that came from, being t- that from time with the Father, that when he was with people, he knew which needs to meet and where to go and what to do, and when to allow an interruption of thousands of people who needed shepherding and teaching and healing and food, and not to just push them away and say, guys, you're an obstacle. This is an opportunity. And it's time with the Father that helps us to discern those things. The last thing I want to encourage you on is just to feast on Jesus, to be a person who's known for just feasting on him. He is the bread of life, and the more we eat, uh, the more satisfied we are. And there's a limitless supply to just feast and feast and feast on his presence, feast on his word, feast on his family. When we're able to get together, you know, we're together. Uh, God strengthens us through collective fellowship. You know, we're separate at the moment. We can meet online a bit, community groups in groups. But when we can get together, let's get together uh, as safely as we can and, and feast on fellowship as well. All these gifts God has given us to eat and to be full, to be satisfied so that our hearts don't run hungry and impoverished after lesser things. Let me pray for us this morning. Jesus, you satisfy um, like no one and nothing else. And I pray uh, for us this morning that we would believe that with fresh faith and with new eyes, that we would look to you to provide our deepest need. Thank you that there is endless compassion in you and whatever accumulation of need um, that we have in our lives this morning we're able to bring it before you because you know it and you see it and you're not wearied by our weariness you're not wearied by our needs you have limitless compassion and we thank you that you are with us this morning to meet our needs um, to supply uh, of yourself um, to be the bread of life that we can feast on and that you can satisfy our hunger. And we can enjoy that. We can enjoy this, this bread that gives us life. And we pray that you would draw us. As you satisfy our hunger, you would make us hungry for more. And make us thirst for righteousness. We want to hunger and thirst for righteousness and be filled by you. So would you come and stir in us a hunger and a thirst for the deep things of God this morning. And would you do it for our good and for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Much love to you guys. God bless and we'll see you soon.